There's a question I've been waiting a long time to ask you. Phage or phage? I say phage. Some people say phage. Phage, come on. Get the phage out of here. <laughs> what, what is it? Uh, I think phage and phage are so similar that we, we can work with that. Um, it's, it's Greek for, for killer uh, or to sort of eat. But in English, yeah. so you're saying you say phage. Rhymes with age. I say phage. I'm talking with Tom Ireland. He is a science journalist who just wrote a book called The Good Virus, and it is all about phages. Phages are these amazing viruses that have sort of flown under the radar since they were discovered in the first part of the 20th century. Phages, also known as bacteriophages, are viruses that kill bacteria. And that is a very useful trait if you need to kill bacteria that are making someone really sick. And in fact, Tom told me, people are now turning to phages to try to treat infections that can't be cured with antibiotics. I think this year is the year that it all changes because the crisis of drug resistance is so acute and so scary now that we have to take it seriously. So the World Economic Forum... Uh, this year named phage therapy in their top 10 emerging technologies for 2023. You know, we're not just guessing and throwing viruses into people with bloodstream anymore. This is a this is a kind of modern phage therapy 2.0, and um, there's some real momentum building behind the idea now. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about viruses that are bad for humans. Viruses that make us sick. Viruses that have killed hundreds of millions of people. Today, for the season finale, we bring you a shocking twist. A show about viruses that are good for people. Viruses that help us fight disease. We'll hear the story of one of the first scientists to study phages. He was kind of a genius, but also he was kind of shady. And then we'll talk to a scientist who collects phages in lakes and sewage plants and then uses them to treat patients with life-threatening infections that cannot be treated with antibiotics. I'm Jacob Goldstein. This is Incubation. And now a word from GSK. Respiratory syncytial virus, better known as RSV, has been in the news a lot lately, and RSV season is fast approaching. RSV infection can put older adults at risk, including those with certain underlying conditions. But vaccination with Orexv, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted, can protect adults aged 60 years and older. Orexv is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from RSV in people 60 years and older. Orexv is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV and over 94% effective in those with asthma, diabetes, COPD, chronic heart failure, advanced liver or kidney disease, or any chronic respiratory or pulmonary disease. Orexv does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexvi is right for you and learn more by calling 888-OREXV-9 or by visiting orexvi.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV? Make it Orexvi. 
in the world, on planet Earth right now, how many phages? Not kinds of phages, but phages. So there's a number that goes around a lot. It's a very rough calculation, but it's 10 with 31 zeros after it. One way of thinking of that is um, a trillion phages for every grain of sand on the planet. <laughs> so just create just crazy numbers. I don't know what to do with that. You said a trillion for every grain of sand? That's like a come on kind of number, right? I mean, I guess one way to think of it is like we actually live on phage planet. Like we think we're the main thing going on on the planet, but maybe we aren't. Yeah, life has evolved in a soup of viruses and most of those viruses are phages. And if if a kind of alien life form was to just pluck a random bit of the earth and look for life they would probably find phages and nothing else you know if they just took a random bit of seawater uh-huh so we've been talking about phages at this sort of macro level big picture level at a more uh micro level like what's a phage look like i know they're very small but <laughs> if you look really closely what's it look like so one of the one of the reasons i'm so interested in phages is that they're actually extraordinary looking things and there was some discussion in the phage community that the lunar landers were actually based on a certain type of phage i was never able to confirm that but they have a remarkably similar structure and they look almost like kind of tiny robotic nanomachines or spiders they're they're weirdly angular so they have this um 20-sided head which looks quite sinister, which contains all of the DNA. Then they have this long tail, uh, which actually acts like a kind of molecular syringe, which can inject the the genes from the head into the bacteria. And then they have these kind of spider-like little legs, which they use to land on the surface of the bacteria and bind to it. There's this this head that has the payload in, whether that's astronauts or genes, <laughs> and then the, the landing legs. Um, and then once once the phage has landed um, and it injects the DNA and it, it essentially hijacks the bacteria and turns it into a virus factory. Amazing. You know, viruses are generally thought of as bad. And it is sort of delightful to encounter this large universe of helpful viruses. Like, I'm very happy to be discovering these good viruses. Yeah, and they, they vastly outnumber the, the ones that we fear and hate. It's really interesting that the idea of using them to kill bacteria and kill the bacteria that cause disease is not new at all. You know, they were being used in medicine decades before the first real antibiotic, penicillin. They were being used in the 20s and the 30s, and this idea of using them as as allies as as medicines is becoming you know it's being taken really seriously again yeah right that goes back to the early part of uh the 20th century Mm -hmm. and there's this key figure who you write a lot about in your book really interesting story so tell me about him tell me about felix durell so felix durell's fascinating character a real maverick he's kind of self-taught volatile has none of the diplomacy that was expected of kind of gentleman scientists of the early 20th century. There's a dispute about whether he's French or Canadian or Belgian because he kept changing his name. He didn't really go to college, to university. He spent his teenage years travelling around Europe. He moved over to Canada, 
declared himself a microbiologist. He was um, commissioned by the Canadian government to make um, whiskey from maple syrup, which may be the most Canadian thing I've ever heard. Um, and then he had this period of kind of conducting completely wild, lawless science as, as, a, as an infectious disease doctor in uh, Mexico and, and Guatemala, where he was really given free reign to do what he wanted. So a really unconventional background, very brash and had terrible diplomacy, you know. So he made lots of enemies, people were very suspicious of him, and he was just, you know, just the ultimate kind of um, outcast, I suppose, in, in, a, in a very important scientific field. How does Durrell make his, make his discovery about phages? In the 1910s, he essentially stumbles across this amazing observation, which is that he has plates of bacteria that he's working on. It's called a lawn of bacteria. It doesn't look like much, but it's kind of opaque and milky. And that means all of your bacteria is growing nicely on whatever medium you've, you've given it to grow on. And he starts noticing on some of his plates there's holes and there's literally nothing there. Uh-huh. And he takes a little touch from the middle of one of these holes and he just touches another plate of completely healthy, uniform, milky bacteria. A hole starts growing on that too. And then he can do this indefinitely. He can take a touch from the hole and touch it on another healthy plate of bacteria. The hole starts growing again. So he knows this isn't just something that's a kind of antibacterial chemical. This has the power of replication. This is growing at the expense of the bacteria. So it's a double whammy of scientific discovery because he's he's found something that seems to be killing bacteria really quickly and really efficiently. All at once, he has a suite of theories. He, he theorizes that this is a virus that kills bacteria. He works out that they are replicating inside the bacteria and then bursting out. He also theorizes that phages are maybe part of our immune system and that when someone spontaneously recovers from a disease perhaps it's phages in our guts or or in our in our body that has helped us recover from that disease so as well as being completely groundbreaking that latter idea of them being part of our immune system was kind of heretical at the time you know it was a completely wild and wacky theory this is a moment when there are no antibiotics in the world, right? This is a moment when no matter how rich you are, if you get a little infection on your foot, <laughs> you might die from it, right? Truly, like there is no way to reliably and safely kill bacteria. So like this is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, when he presented these ideas to the world, the establishment of these huge, you know, microbiologists of the time, they just said, there's no way this is true. I think um, one of them actually said, if this microbe exists, I would have found it by now. <laughs> you know, people just couldn't believe that he'd, he'd discovered this entirely new form of life that had such a powerful potential use in medicine. So he has discovered this incredible thing. There's this obvious potential for clinical applications, right? How does he try and take this idea and actually use it uh, as a as a treatment. Yeah, so this is before clinical trials. Felix Darrell walks into a children's hospital in Paris and says, I have a way of treating dysentery, this horrible inflammation of the bowels which causes you to essentially 
have such severe diarrhea that you die. And they decide to give uh, a dose of phages to two uh, young kids from a particular family who've come in with very severe uh, dysentery. And, you know, they make a full recovery. I mean, one question is how often does that happen in the absence of treatment, right? Like, the reason you really want a randomized trial is to know, is this the treatment? Is it, in this case, the phage? Or is it just would have happened anyway? Exactly. So Darrell, he tries it on a few more kids in this hospital. It's it, it's successful. He's essentially selling his own cocktails of phages for various different bacterial diseases. And he's in this really unusual situation where the establishment microbiologists are still suggesting he's uh, he's wrong and they don't believe his theory and they're trying to disprove his theory. But he is a great salesman of these phage-based potions and he starts travelling the world uh, and, and selling them to ministries of health and hospital directors and they don't really care what the, what the kind of academics are saying. And within a decade, phages are everywhere. Does it work? Like, I can't tell. Like... <laughs> He still seems shady, like it could be snake oil. I think Felix Durrell, who had an understanding of phages that was greater than anyone else on the planet, he developed a way of actually understanding which strains of bacteria were circulating in a given place at a given time, and then creating a remedy based on phages that he knew could kill those bacteria. As soon as pharmaceutical companies got involved and started trying to make products that were like mass market products you know it was completely hit and miss so there was this yeah. complete inconsistency at the time people didn't understand phages well enough and so um phages got this reputation as being inconsistent which they really struggled to to shake off until antibiotics came along so so let's talk about that so antibiotics come along in the what 1930s 1940s uh what does the rise of antibiotics mean for phage therapy? Um, penicillin was discovered. It was, you know, it really was a miracle drug. You know, you could mass produce it. Doctors knew that if a bacterial disease was one of these 40 different types of bacteria, if it was caused by those bacteria, then penicillin was good for it. And so really that phage therapy started to look logistically very difficult to administer. You know, you you've got to match the phage to the bacteria or you've got to create a cocktail of different phages. It just all of a sudden seemed like a kind of wild and old-fashioned and backwards way to treat bacterial infections. And in the West, at least, the idea of using phages was like, Pah, forget it. So what's the end of the story of Felix Durrell? Um, well, it's not a happy ending for him, really. He, he died without any kind of uh, acknowledgement. Of his work, he was actually nominated for the Nobel Prize about thirty times, um, but never won it. He was um, a genius in his own way, and um, really set the ball rolling for this idea of uh, using phages to treat bacterial infections. So let's talk about the present. Um, antibiotics are amazing, but bacteria are constantly evolving to resist antibiotics. Can phages help us with antibiotic resistance? Yeah, they absolutely can. I mean, it's as I've said, it's not straightforward. This is very different to having a, a pharmaceutical chemical. 
um, that we can use on millions of people. There is lab work involved with each case. And you're talking about treating people with a living, evolving thing, often that's been found in a kind of river or a sewer. So there's just huge numbers of like logistical and regulatory challenges around this. But, you know, they have been evolving for billions of years to kill bacteria. They are amazingly good at it. And there are countless examples now of phage therapy being used to save the lives of people who have infections that are resistant to every known antibiotic in the cabinet. Tom Ireland's book is called The Good Virus, The Amazing Story and Forgotten Promise of the Phage. We'll be back in just a minute to talk to a scientist who is using phages to treat disease now. And now a word from GSK. RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, can put older adults at risk, including those with certain underlying conditions. Fortunately, vaccination is available. Orexv, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from RSV in people 60 years and older. Vaccination with Orexv is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV in adults 60 years and older and over 94% effective in those with asthma, diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, chronic heart failure, advanced liver or kidney disease, or any chronic respiratory or pulmonary disease. Orexv does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexv is right for you and learn more by calling 888-OREXV-9 or by visiting orexv.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV, make it Orexv. In the first half of today's show, Tom Ireland talked about how phage therapy is being used today to treat people who have antibiotic-resistant infections. In the second half of today's show, I'm going to talk with one of the few researchers in the country who is actually doing this work. His name is Ben Chan. He's a research scientist in ecology and evolutionary biology at Yale. How did you come to be a phage guy? <laughs> How did you get into phages? Back in grad school, I studied amphibian biology. I studied parental care behavior of poison dart frogs. Huh. Um, and, you know, got to do this amazing field work in amazing places and loved it. And there was this fungal disease that's driving amphibian decline. And what I really wanted to do is I wanted to engineer the skin microbiome of these poison dart frogs by making the bacteria produce antifungals so that they'd be resistant to this disease. And I was like, that's how I'm going to save, you know, frogs. And I wanted to do so with a phage, actually. I was going to engineer these bacteria with phage. Ben told me he couldn't get funding for his Save the Frogs idea, but he wanted to continue his work. And in 2013, he started working at a lab at Yale where he finds and studies phages. And it was there that Ben connected with a surgeon at Yale New Haven Hospital. The surgeon told him about this one really challenging case. So this guy had um, an aneurysm on his aorta, right? The vessels weakened. 
And when that's a vessel in the body, like if that thing explodes, that's really bad news, right? Especially the aorta, which is like the largest vessel. So they, you know, bring him into surgery. They cut out that piece and replace it with a plastic piece. And then it turns out that got infected somehow. So he's got this artificial graft onto his heart. And then there's like Pseudomonas bacteria growing on it. So to be clear, he has this infection mm-hmm. in a place you really don't want an infection. Yep. It's a bacterial infection. Mm-hmm. So great. Give him antibiotics. Yep. They give him antibiotics. What happens? Uh, it sort of just suppresses it at best, right? Uh-huh. So it won't go away with antibiotics, but you can, you know, prevent it more or less from from killing you, I guess. But it's like a slow battle that eventually you're going to lose. And so they're kind of out of options. So so this patient has is infected with this bacteria that you can't wipe out with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? How does the bacteria survive the antibiotics? Yeah. So there's a few ways that bacteria can survive um, antibiotic exposure, right? They can either have an enzyme that chops up the antibiotic before it does its job, or they can like decrease permeability. And then there's this other way, which is called antibiotic efflux, where it's the antibiotic gets into the cell and could otherwise function and kill the bacteria. But there are these special pumps that the bacteria have that recognize antibiotics and other sort of toxins, and then they pump it out before it can do what it's meant to do. That's rad, yeah. by the way. They're so smart, right? For like yeah, these little so single smart. cell guys. Yeah. And so that that's what's going on in this case, right? Yeah. The the bacteria inside this guy has a pump. So yeah. you give him antibiotics, it goes into the bacteria, and the bacteria pumps it back out. Yeah. And so our natural response would be like, well, okay, let's just throw more antibiotics there, right? Um, and when you do that, it makes them make more pumps, right? So they're... <laughs> they're it's a tough it's the battle. arms race. It's the classic kind of uh, antibiotic versus uh, pathogen arms race. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And and the more you get in, eventually you're going to start seeing some side effects, right? You can only uh-huh. put so much chemical in someone before there's there's problems. Yeah. And what is your idea when you show up? So I, I just was like, well, why don't we try to use, you know, a bacteriophage, which is a virus of bacteria, to try and kill this infection because it's independent of antibiotic resistance, right? And that's not like my idea, right? They've been doing this since they found bacteriophages or they've been trying it. But I was like, you know, it's been years since we've actually done this seriously in the United States. Maybe we should, maybe this would be a good case to try it. Um, And so the surgeon was like, perfect, let's try it. Okay, so the surgeon's on board. What do you do from there? First thing is we get the, the isolate. So the clinical lab guy here in the hospital was like, okay, here's your plate of bacteria. So we take this bacteria back to the lab, and we need to make sure that we have a phage that can kill the bacteria, right? Okay. So we've got this, like, you know, fridge full of phage. And the fridge full of phage is, like, all different phages? Yeah. More or less, how many different phages do you have? Within an order of magnitude, a thousand? Um, A thousand. So how do you come to have a fridge with a thousand different (laughs) kinds of phage? Yeah, so, you know... Regular trips to the sewage treatment plant, or we, you know, we're collecting from rivers or ocean water, lakes. We have all different phages for all different bacteria because they're really, really uh, host specific. So it's not like I can take an E. coli phage and try to kill Staph aureus with it or something. We had sort of built up this library of Pseudomonas phages, and we took his sample and we we basically tested all these phages on his bacteria to see which ones would uh, kill it. And so we had phages. And we've had one that was, I, th- I think, slightly biased, really cool in that the receptor binding site, so what the phage uses to grab onto the bacteria and recognize it, 
was this efflux pump that we were talking about. Huh. So, you know, it in a sea of pseudomonas, not all of them have these efflux pumps. Um, huh. And so the phage is like looking for just those guys. So specifically th- this phage, this particular phage that you're optimistic about, is actually targeting the thing that allows some of the bacteria to resist the antibiotics. Exactly. So this phage is sort of optimal to use in combination with antibiotics. Yeah. Right? Because either the bacteria has a pump and is therefore antibiotic resistant, but targeted by the phage, Mm -hmm. or it doesn't have a pump, in which case the antibiotics will kill it. Exactly. Yep. It's a great theory. Yeah. Love it in theory. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's what we had to go with, right? It was just this theory. And that, like, the thinking that the phage, it could either... It could kill all the bacteria, right? And that would be a great outcome for this guy. Um, or it could kill a lot of them, and then they could evolve resistance, which would not be ideal, but it'd be antibiotic sensitive. So maybe a win. And we tested it in the lab, and everything looked great. So I brought this data um, to the surgeon. I was like, look, it seems like it's pretty good at, at what it does. And then he's like, well, let's try it, because, I mean, what else we need to do? Um, so, you know, it gets the FDA on the phone, and I okay, here's a few things you need to do to make sure that you're not going to, like, do harm. Um, so we did those quality control things, and then then they're like, okay, cool, do it. So we had the FDA, the institution, everyone was on board, and then all we had to do was the actual procedure. So once you get the approval, mm-hmm. you've got a patient out yeah. in the world, yeah. you've got this one kind of phage. Yeah. How do, you, how do you get it into the guy? Yeah. So it's like a little clear vial. Um, it's a clean phage only solution. And then we brought that from the fridge <laughs> over to the hospital. I just in, in like a little foam cooler. And then we go to the operating room where they had had this guy sedated and ready. And then the surgeon's there. He's like, okay, we're going to do this. One of the nurses is like, okay, do you guys need the like the crash cart? To, to be clear, the crash cart is for if the patient's heart stops beating, essentially if they die. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, well, now it's, like, definitely real. Like, it was real before, but now it's like, dude, like, don't screw this up. And then they start. They're like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this crazy long needle, and we're just going to, like, jam it way down by the, the base of the aorta. The hope was they would take this needle and get down into the, the area, like, and puncture a little area where there was the bacteria, right? So they wanted to get into the spot, rinse it out, and then shoot in the phage. And that was the dream. Um, and they just couldn't puncture this area because there's all this scar tissue. And so then they're like, well, we're just going to have to call it because we can't get in there. And if we push too hard, you're going to, like, stab the guy in the heart. So we're stuck. And then this surgeon was like, okay, so here's what we can do. This draining hole here that's draining out of him already. What if we just pipe the phage up that hole and then it'll track back to the infection site? We can try that. So he, you know, he calls the pharmacy, gets the some antibiotic, mixes it with the phage in the operating room in a syringe, and he just like just basically pokes it in there and just like shoots it in. Shoots it into the hole on the guy's on the patient's chest. Yeah. <laughs> so then he covers it up with a bandage and he's like, let's see what happens, right? So they close him up and then they discharge him the next day. And then like, I'm like, okay, I wonder if it worked. I'm sitting here like everything's fine like um then like it turns into like weeks and i'm like dude and then uh the surgeon just emails me like out of the blue he's like oh you'll never guess who turned up in my office looks like a million bucks everything's fine 
So it worked. So the phage yeah. therapy worked. Yeah, as far as we can tell. Like the infection that had been uh, persisting for, for years by that point, it just went away entirely. Yep. Yeah, five years and then gone. So he stopped antibiotics and then he was fine. So this, this whole thing happened several years ago, right? Like seven years ago now. And I'm curious what's happened since then. Like, have you still been treating other patients? Do you, do you hear from people who are interested in phage therapy? So the first, that first case was 2016, um, and then we treated another 17, and then like 18, 19, like it just went crazy from there. Then things went like extra crazy, right? So you get emails all the time from people, from their physicians, from their loved ones, from whoever who had these horrible infections. I mean, you know like how big of a problem antibiotic resistance is, right? You read the news and the headlines and stuff. But like, I feel like it really hits home when someone sends you an email that's like, dude, here's my story. I've been on these antibiotics constantly. I'm writing you from a hospital on my phone right now. It's fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> like things aren't working. And like when you get like after the first, you know, 10 of those, you're like, this is like a really serious issue. Like it, it really hits home more when, when someone sends you a note like that. So where, where are we now? Is phage therapy like a thing in U.S. medicine? And I just don't hear about it because there's a lot I don't hear about. It, it's slowly becoming a thing more with these clinical trials going on and like compassionate cases being treated fairly uh-huh. regularly. And so in the U.S. at this point, like rough order of magnitude estimate, how many people a year, say, are treated with phage therapy? Oh, within an order of magnitude, you know, 100. 100. Yeah. So very small. Yeah. Still. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned some clinical trials that are ongoing. I mm-hmm. mean... Is it the kind of thing where if those clinical trials, you know, demonstrate safety and efficacy, it'll become a much bigger thing? It'll be thousands or tens of thousands of people a year being treated with phage therapy? Well, we'll find out, I guess. Um, we're sort of finding out as we go. But, you know, it, the safety problem is it's not, it's not an issue. I think that's, it's got a lot of, of uh, support that they're safe. Uh, the efficacy, we're trying to figure out still. Um, but, you know, assuming all goes well in these trials, unfortunately, it probably comes down to people deciding economically how to make it work, right? Uh-huh. What are some of the limits of phage therapy? You know, there are cases in which it hasn't seemed to have done anything. The problem with those is that they don't often get written up and published. So we don't know what we're not doing correctly, in a lot of these cases, or why it may have failed, but that's changing now a little bit. Like, in this story you told of this one compassionate use case, mm-hmm. it's very bespoke. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And if we want it to get to tens of thousands of patients a year, or thousands of patients a year even, yeah. it seems like you would want it to be less bespoke. You would want it to be more industrialized and standardized. Yeah. Is it possible to do that? Or is the nature of phage therapy such that it has to remain, you know, very kind of artisanal one by one? <laughs> uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Uh-huh. So it's not just me, like, you know, custom brewing a batch for every person that has an infection. So we're past that part. But I think it's also not someone just comes in and they're like, here's an injection of phage and, and you're done. But standardization and distribution and all these things are, are details we have to sort of establish but it's it's definitely doable and and the part that i really really love about phage therapy is that it it more or less democratizes a lot of infection management in that 
the cost is not crazy. The technology is not crazy. I mean, there's some there's some costs, but like any country can do it. If things go well, what does phage therapy look like five or so years from now? I would see it being more readily available. I would love to see, um, you know, people all over the world having access and producing their own phages. I mean, it'd take a lot of work, but I think we could do it in five years. It was great to talk with you. Thank you for your time. Great to talk to you. Thanks to my guests today, Tom Ireland and Ben Chan. Incubation is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Ruby Studio at iHeartMedia. It's produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang, Ariella Markowitz, and Amy Gaines McQuaid. Our editors are Julia Barton and Karen Shakurji. Mastering by Anne Pope, fact-checking by Joseph Fridman. Our executive producers are Catherine Girardot and Matt Romano. I'm Jacob Goldstein. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from GSK. Orexvi, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, adjuvanted is a vaccine used to prevent lower respiratory disease from respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, in people 60 years and older. Vaccination with Orexvi is proven through a clinical study to be over 82% effective in preventing lower respiratory disease from RSV in adults 60 years and older. Orexvi does not protect everyone and is not for those with severe allergic reactions to its ingredients. Those with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most common side effects are injection site pain, fatigue, muscle pain, headache, and joint pain. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if Orexvi is right for you and learn more by calling 888-OREXVI-9 or by visiting orexvi.com. That's A-R-E-X-V-Y dot com. RSV? Make it Arexvi.